Volume Two, Chapter Forty Two of the Marble Faun. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Marble Faun by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Volume Two, Chapter Forty Two. Reminiscences of Miriam. When Hilda and himself turned away from the unfinished bust, the sculptor's mind still dwelt upon the reminiscences which it suggested. You have not seen Donatello recently, he remarked, and therefore cannot be aware how sadly he is changed. No wonder, exclaimed Hilda, growing pale. The terrible scene which she had witnessed, when Donatello's face gleamed out in so fierce a light, came back upon her memory, almost for the first time since she knelt at the confessional. Hilda, as is sometimes the case with persons whose delicate organization requires a peculiar safeguard, had an elastic faculty of throwing off such recollections as would be too painful for endurance. The first shock of Donatello's and Miriam's crime had indeed broken through the frail defence of this voluntary forgetfulness, but once enabled to relieve herself of the ponderous anguish over which she had so long brought it, she had practised a subtile watchfulness in preventing its return. "'No wonder, do you say?' repeated the sculptor, looking at her with interest, but not exactly with surprise for he had long suspected that Hilda had a painful knowledge of events which he himself little more than surmised. "'Then you know, you have heard. But what can you possibly have heard, and through what channel?' "'Nothing,' replied Hilda faintly. "'Not one word has reached my ears from the lips of any human being. Let us never speak of it again. No, no, never again.' and miriam said kenyon with irrepressible interest is it also forbidden to speak of her hush do not even utter her name try not to think of it hilda whispered it may bring terrible consequences my dear hilda exclaimed kenyon regarding her with wonder and deep sympathy my sweet friend have you had this secret hidden in your delicate maidenly heart through all these many months? No wonder that your life was withering out of you. It was so indeed, said Hilda, shuddering. Even now I sicken at the recollection. And how could it have come to your knowledge? continued the sculptor. But no matter. Do not torture yourself with referring to the subject. Only if at any time it should be a relief to you, remember that we can speak freely together, for Miriam has herself suggested a confidence between us. Miriam has suggested this, exclaimed Hilda. Yes, I remember now her advising that the secret should be shared with you, but I have survived the death struggle that it cost me, and need make no further revelations, and Miriam has spoken to you. What manner of woman can she be, who, after sharing in such a deed, 
can make it a topic of conversation with her friends ah hilda replied kenyon you do not know for you could never learn it from your own heart which is all purity and rectitude what a mixture of good there may be in things evil and how the greatest criminal if you look at his conduct from his own point of view or from any side point may seem not so unquestionably guilty after all so with miriam so with donatello they are perhaps partners in what we must call awful guilt and yet i will own to you when i think of the original cause the motives the feelings the sudden concurrence of circumstances thrusting them onward the urgency of the moment and the sublime unselfishness on either part i know not well how to distinguish it from much that the world calls heroism might we not render some such verdict as this worthy of death but not unworthy of love never answered hilda looking at the matter through the clear crystal medium of her own integrity this thing as regards its causes is all a mystery to me and must remain so but there is i believe only one right and one wrong and i do not understand and may god keep me from ever understanding how two things so totally unlike can be mistaken for one another nor how two mortal foes as right and wrong surely are can work together in the same deed this is my faith and i should be led astray if you could persuade me to give it up alas for poor human nature then said kenyon sadly and yet half smiling at hilda's unworldly and impracticable theory i always felt you my dear friend a terrible severe judge and have been perplexed to conceive how such tender sympathy could coexist with the remorselessness of a steel blade you need no mercy and therefore know not how to show any that sounds like a bitter jibe said hilda with the tears springing into her eyes but i cannot help it it does not alter my perception of the truth if there be any such dreadful mixture of good and evil as you affirm and which appears to me almost more shocking than pure evil then the good is turned to poison not the evil to wholesomeness the sculptor seemed disposed to say something more but yielded to the gentle steadfastness with which hilda declined to listen she grew very sad for a reference to this one dismal topic had set as it were a prison door ajar and allowed a throng of torturing recollections to escape from their dungeons into the pure air and white radiance of her soul she bade kenyon a briefer farewell than ordinary and went homeward to her tower in spite of her efforts to withdraw them to other subjects her thoughts dwelt upon miriam and as had not heretofore happened they brought with them a painful doubt whether a wrong had not been committed on hilda's part towards the friend once so beloved something that miriam had said in their final conversation recurred to her memory 
and seemed now to deserve more weight than Hilda had assigned to it, in her horror at the crime just perpetrated. It was not that the deed looked less wicked and terrible in the retrospect, but she asked herself whether there were not other questions to be considered, aside from that single one of Miriam's guilt or innocence, as, for example, whether a close bond of friendship, in which we once voluntarily engage, ought to be severed on account of any unworthiness which we subsequently detect in our friend. For in these unions of hearts, call them marriage or whatever else, we take each other for better, for worse. Availing ourselves of our friend's intimate affection, we pledge our own as to be relied upon in every emergency. And what sadder, more desperate emergency could there be than had befallen Miriam, who more need the tender succor of the innocent than wretches stained with guilt? and must a selfish care for the spotlessness of our own garments keep us from pressing the guilty ones close to our hearts wherein for the very reason that we are innocent lies their securest refuge from further ill it was a sad thing for hilda to find this moral enigma propounded to her conscience and to feel that whichever way she might settle it there would be a cry of wrong on the other side still the idea stubbornly came back that the tie between miriam and herself had been real the affection true and that therefore the implied compact was not to be shaken off miriam loved me well thought hilda remorsefully and i failed her at her sorest need miriam loved her well and not less ardent had been the affection which miriam's warm tender and generous characteristics had excited in hilda's more reserved and quiet nature it had never been extinguished for in part the wretchedness which hilda had since endured was but the struggle and writhing of her sensibility still yearning towards her friend and now at the earliest encouragement it awoke again and cried out piteously complaining of the violence that had been done it recurring to the delinquencies of which she fancied we say fancied because we do not unhesitatingly adopt hilda's present view but rather suppose her misled by her feelings of which she fancied herself guilty towards her friend she suddenly remembered a sealed packet that miriam had confided to her it had been put into her hands with earnest injunctions of secrecy and care and if unclaimed after a certain period was to be delivered according to its address hilda had forgotten it or rather she had kept the thought of this commission in the background of her consciousness with all other thoughts referring to miriam but now the recollection of this packet and the evident stress which miriam laid upon its delivery at the specified time impelled hilda to hurry up the staircase of her tower dreading lest the period should already have elapsed no the hour had not gone by but was on the very point of passing hilda read the brief note of instruction on a corner of the envelope and discovered that in case of miriam's absence from rome 
the packet was to be taken to its destination that very day how nearly i had violated my promise said hilda and since we are separated for ever it has the sacredness of an injunction from a dead friend there is no time to be lost so hilda set forth in the decline of the afternoon and pursued her way towards the quarter of the city in which stands the palazzo sensi her habit of self-reliance was so simply strong so natural and now so well established by long use that the idea of peril seldom or never occurred to hilda in her lonely life she differed in this particular from the generality of her sex although the customs and character of her native land often produce women who meet the world with gentle fearlessness and discover that its terrors have been absurdly exaggerated by the tradition of mankind in ninety-nine cases out of a hundred the apprehensiveness of women is quite gratuitous even as matters now stand they are really safer in perilous situations and emergencies than men and might be still more so if they trusted themselves more confidingly to the chivalry of manhood in all her wanderings about rome hilda had gone and returned as securely as she had been accustomed to tread the familiar street of her new england village where every face wore a look of recognition with respect to whatever was evil foul and ugly in this populous and corrupt city she trod as if invisible and not only so but blind she was altogether unconscious of anything wicked that went along the same pathway but without jostling or impeding her any more than gross substance hinders the wanderings of a spirit thus it is that bad as the world is said to have grown innocence continues to make a paradise around itself and keep it still unfallen hilda's present expedition led her into what was physically at least the foulest and ugliest part of rome in that vicinity lies the ghetto where thousands of jews are crowded within a narrow compass and lead a close unclean and multitudinous life resembling that of maggots when they overpopulate a decaying cheese hilda passed on the borders of this region but had no occasion to step within it its neighborhood however naturally partook of characteristics like its own there was a confusion of black and hideous houses piled massively out of the ruins of former ages rude and destitute of plan as a pauper would build his howl and yet displaying here and there an arched gateway a cornice a pillar or a broken arcade that might have adorned a palace many of the houses indeed as they stood might once have been palaces and possessed still a squalid kind of grandeur dirt was everywhere strewing the narrow streets and encrusting the tall shabbiness of the edifices from the foundations to the roofs it lay upon the thresholds and looked out of the windows and assumed the geese of human life in the children that seemed to be engendered out of it their father was the sun and their mother a heap of roman mud it is a question of speculative interest whether the ancient romans 
were as unclean a people as we everywhere find those who have succeeded them there appears to be a kind of malignant spell in the spots that have been inhabited by these masters of the world or made famous in their history an inherited and inalienable curse impelling their successors to fling dirt and defilement upon whatever temple column mind palace or triumphal arch may be nearest at hand and on every monument that the old romans built it is most probably a classic trait regularly transmitted downward and perhaps a little modified by the better civilization of christianity so that caesar may have trod narrower and filthier ways in his path to the capital than even those of modern rome as the paternal abode of beatrice the gloomy old palace of the senses had an interest for hilda although not sufficiently strong hitherto to overcome the disheartening effect of the exterior and draw her over its threshold the adjacent piazza of poor aspect contained only an old woman selling roasted chestnuts and baked squash seeds she looked sharply at hilda and inquired whether she had lost her way no said hilda i seek the palazzo Zensi. yonder it is fair signorina replied the roman matron if you wish that packet delivered which i see in your hand my grandson pietro shall run with it for a baiocco the sensi palace is a spot of ill omen for young maidens hilda thanked the old dame but alleged the necessity of doing her errand in person she approached the front of the palace which with all its immensity had but a mean appearance and seemed an abode which the lovely shade of beatrice would not be apt to haunt unless her doom made it inevitable some soldiers stood about the portal and gazed at the brown-haired fair-cheeked anglo-saxon girl with approving glances but not indecorously hilda began to ascend the staircase three lofty flights of which were to be surmounted before reaching the door whither she was bound end of chapter forty two volume two read by lars rolander